been away for the summer. It's great to have you back. Welcome back. Um, it's lovely to see people coming back. If you're here for the first time, again, let me add my welcome. We love as a church to sing, to pray. We've been talking about that. The other thing we love to do is to get the Bible open and to learn together, to listen to God's voice as we open his word. So we're going to do that. We're going to dive back into Mark's gospel. Uh, this time last year, we started at the beginning of Mark, and we got to chapter 8, verse... Well, we got somewhere around chapter 8. So we're going to pick it up again at chapter 8, verse 31. And I'm going to read from 831. It's on page 1012, um, if you've got one of the church Bibles that are around. 1012, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Now, let me, without wanting to freak you out, let me just do a very quick summary of where we've got to in Mark's Gospel. <laughs> Basically, right, Jesus, Mark says in his first sentence of his Gospel, he says, this is the good news, so he thinks it's good news, about Jesus, Christ, which means King, the Son of God. That's how he starts his gospel. He's very clear. I'm writing a book about Jesus, who is the King and the Son of God. And what you discover in kind of in around chapters 1 to 4, the first thing is we, the big thing we see is that Jesus comes to proclaim a kingdom, to announce it. He goes around preaching all the time. And people keep saying to him, Oh, Jesus, can you come do a miracle? And he says, Well, okay, I'll do some miracles, but that's not why I've come. I've come to preach. That's kind of the first four chapters. You see he's the preacher of the kingdom. And then you discover that not only does he preach it, he also proves it in what he does. He does all these miracles. A whole row of them in, in Mark's chapters 4, 5, 6, 7. A whole pile of miracles where Jesus casts out demons and he raises the dead and he heals the sick. He feeds 5,000 people. He calms a storm. He walks on water. Over and over again, we get miracle, miracle, miracle. Because Jesus is showing, this is what the kingdom's like. I've come to proclaim it and to show it. Right? That's pretty exciting. And that's kind of all building. That's a very simple summary of the first half of Mark's gospel. It's building towards Mark chapter 8 and verse 29. When Jesus says to his disciples, and particularly to Peter, What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, or the Christ, or the King. In other words, they go, Jesus, this kingdom you've been preaching about, and this kingdom that you've been demonstrating, I think you're the King of that kingdom. They've got it, right? That's a big, big moment. That's the first big chunk of Mark's Gospel. Let me read from chapter 8, verse 31. And we're going to go right the way through to chapter 9, verse 13, okay? Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Okay, it's a big chunk. There's lots in it, okay? We're going to work hard this afternoon. There's loads of pens around. You may really find it helpful to scribble stuff down. The space on the back of your sheets, the idea of that is not that we take them in and mark them, but just helps you concentrate sometimes to scribble some... Although, (laughs) it's not a bad idea, actually. But yeah... um, Scribble some stuff down. It just helps you to focus. Let me read you this verse again. 8.31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, the teacher of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Two simple questions as we get into the Gospel of Mark. How important in your life is the death of Jesus? How much does it matter that Jesus suffered and died on a cross? How big a deal is that to you? That's question one. Question two, how big a deal is the resurrection of Jesus? How much does it matter to you and to your life? How much difference does it make to your life that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day? How much difference? So what I want to try and do this afternoon is to show you that those two facts actually lie at the fundamental root of how we're supposed to live this human life. I I, I guess there's a scale, isn't there? For some of us, there's one end, which is, well, they're absolutely irrelevant. I never, ever think about them. I've never, I've, I've turned up in church. I'm not sure how I ended up here. And I've never really thought about the death or resurrection of Jesus. I don't see what they've got to do with me. I have no big deal. To the other end, where someone would say they're absolutely fundamental. In fact, they are, everything is built on those two things. I wonder where you'd be on that scale, from absolutely relevant to absolutely fundamental. And I'm not asking you, right, okay, listen, I'm not asking you theoretically what do you think. I'm asking functionally, what difference do they make? The death and the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you know the game um, Kaplunk? Okay, look, this is, here's Kaplunk. Right, Kaplunk, right? Um, 
This is the most ridiculous game in the world. Uh, you, I'm, I'm assuming most of us have heard of this. Um, do you even have this in Australia? Yeah, yeah you see, it's probably, it's probably an Australian game. It's a very simple game. And uh, <laughs> basically, you put, lots and lots of, you put lots of sticks through the thing, like matchsticks, and then you put loads of marbles in the top, and then you have to pull the sticks out one by one, and then the marbles fall through, and you've got to try not to let the marbles fall through, right? It's a stupid game because it takes at least six times as long to set up than it does to actually play. But anyway, the, the reality of the game is that although there's lots and lots of sticks, there are really only one or two which are fundamental. There are really only one or two that if you pull those ones, all the more marbles go. And my guess is that for most of us, our life is like that, right? There are loads and loads of sticks, right? There's loads of stuff going through our lives. But there are a couple of things that if they get pulled out, then we lose our marbles. We lo- everything falls apart. And I want to ask you, what, what is it? What is the stick in your life that if someone were to slowly pull it out, everything would fall apart? Maybe for some of us it's our health. You know, if, if something were to happen to my health, everything would fall apart. Maybe it's my security. You know, I, I feel safe, I feel safe. As soon as someone challenges my safety, maybe it's a relationship. This is, this is the thing, this is the thing. If this were to be taken away from me, maybe it's our job. You know, you know, there's loads and loads of stuff that goes through. What I want to try and show you this afternoon is that the death and the resurrection of Jesus should be those two most fundamental facts which holds everything else in place. That all of your marbles stay where they are because Jesus died and rose again. That's what we're doing. In fact, I want to try and convince you this afternoon that if you sideline the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you try and push those to the side and say they're not that important, I'm going to say something shocking now, okay? If you sideline those things, you are closer to Satan than you are to God. Now, you might say, that's pretty strong. Well, that's what Jesus says to Peter. Peter says to Jesus, no, Jesus, you can't die and rise again. That's not the way. That's not the way. Look what Jesus says to him. Verse 33, he rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan. You see, Jesus says his death, his suffering and death, and then his rising again is so fundamental that the one thing that the devil most wants to stop us believing is that Jesus died and rose again. That is, that is the one thing that Satan would love for us to not believe. He wants to convince you that they're irrelevant. He wants to convince you there's other sticks, other sticks which are more important. And he wants you to sideline the death and resurrection. But through the words of Mark's gospel, Jesus is saying to us this afternoon, now I died and I rose again. Build your life on it. Now you know something's important when when it gets repeated. You know when... um, like, you know, you're being left at home on your own for the first time and your mum and dad say, now don't answer the door. Listen, have you got it? Don't answer. Have you got it? Don't answer. R- repetition emphasises how important something is. In this chunk of Mark's gospel, we're going from kind of chapter 8, 9 through to 10, next few weeks. 
three times, Jesus says the same thing. Let's just see it. I'm going to read them because I want you to feel the weight of it, okay? We've read one of them uh, in, in verses 8, 31 to 32. Have a look now to chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Okay, Jesus, he's got his disciples. He's focused on them. What is the thing he wants them to know? Look at it. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. Turn over to chapter 10. It's dead easy to remember this, right? They're all... 8.32, 9.32, 10.32. Okay, that's where these three predictions, all roughly, all come. So look at 10.32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid, again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This chunk of Mark's gospel is built around these three predictions. Three times, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die, and I'm going to rise. And for Jesus, it's as if Jesus is saying, this is who I am. To try and sideline this and say, oh, Jesus is a lovely lovely preacher. I don't get this stuff about his death and resurrection, but I like the stuff he says. What? That's nonsense. Look at him, he says it again and again. This is what matters most to Jesus. My death, my resurrection, that's it. That's what matters. Now, of course, that begs the question, why? Why does Jesus say that these two planks, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, why are they so important? Let's take the death of Jesus first. Why is the death of Jesus so critical to him? Okay, we're going to try and understand this by looking at a question Jesus asks. Look down with me um, at verse 37. Jesus is a master teacher. Look at this question. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What a question. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There are four things there, I think, which are pretty surprising. The first thing which I think is surprising is to discover that you have a soul. Jesus is absolutely crystal clear. We have a very weak doctrine of humanity, doctrine of what it means to be human. You are not a highly evolved animal. You have a body and a soul. When God made humanity, he didn't just go, oh look, there's an elephant and a hippo and a man and a woman. He went, there's an elephant. No, he didn't actually. He went, there's a thing which I'm going to get them to name in a minute. There's a thing and another thing. Oh, now let me make this. And then he breathed his life into them. You have a soul. Now, of course, if you get rid of God and spirituality and anything else, then you're left with this thing, well, I'm just a body, I'm just a machine, I'm just a complex collection of atoms and molecules and DNA stuff. The Bible says you're so much more. And you know what? You know you are. You know you are. It's why a year ago, do you remember, it's, it's exactly a year ago this week when they found the little baby boy 
on the beach, the Syrian refugee who'd been drowned and washed up on the beach. Why? Why are we so bothered? Hundreds of seals and things get washed up on the beach and people go, oh, that's sad. Why did that? Because we know that humans have a more. Because we have a soul. You have a soul. That is critical for you to understand. And the second thing, which may surprise you, is that your soul is valuable. Highly valuable. Even if you had all the money in the world, you cannot buy a soul. What can a person give in exchange for a soul? Just... Um, why don't you turn to Psalm 49? I love Psalm 49. Um, have a look at Psalm 49 with me. Page 572. Page 572. Have a look at this. Verse 7. We have to understand kind of our, our basic understanding of what it means to be human in the light of the Bible. No one, verse 7, no one can redeem the life of another. It's in the context of riches and wealth, right? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. There is no amount of money that you could pay in order to buy your soul for eternity. It's too valuable. And you sort of know that. Because when someone dies, even the richest person in the world doesn't have enough money to bring them back. What can a person give in exchange for their soul? The answer is nothing. Your soul is too valuable. You have a soul and your soul is valuable. Here's the third thing that I think is shocking from these words of Jesus. And that is that your soul can be lost. Your soul can be lost. Look down with me again in Mark 8 at verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The human soul can be lost. Jesus in this section, we're going to see it in a few weeks' time, teaches very bluntly and very honestly about the reality of hell. That's because he loves us, right? And Jesus says, this soul, which is valuable, can be lost for eternity. The reality is that all of us have lived for ourselves. Jesus describes the generation in which he lived as adulterous and sinful. That means that they've loved other things rather than the God they were made for. That's adultery, right? If I love another woman other than the one who is my wife, that is adultery. If I love anything other than the God who is my God, that is adultery. And we've all done it. We've all loved other things. We've all lived for other things. And because of that, our souls are in great danger and, and will be lost for eternity. And that brings me to why Jesus had to die. You know, our culture is so obsessed with the body, right? 
You know, what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, what my hair, what my hair looks like. You know, that, some of us. That kind of stuff, right? We're obsessed with the body. We spend so much time and effort on our bodies and we're constantly neglecting our soul. Neglecting what is most valuable. The most successful human being who lives on this planet is only one heartbeat away from being lost forever. One heartbeat. We assume that we're okay and we're not okay. That is why Jesus had to die. Hear the question again. What can someone give in exchange for their soul? What are you going to give? One day you are going to meet the God who made you. What are you going to give him? I've got 10 A stars in my GCSEs. I, I didn't, but imagine I had. I've got 10 A stars in my GCSEs, God. Will, will, will they do? I've done some really nice stuff, God. I, what are you going to give? None of that will pay the debt. Here's the last thing. Why the death of Jesus matters. It's because Jesus exchanges his life for your soul. Probably the most important verse in Mark's gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And it's a bit cheating because we haven't got there yet. But I'm going to say it a lot. It says this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember Psalm 49. No payment is ever enough. No one can redeem, no one can pay a ransom to rescue someone else from this. Here's Jesus who says, I will pay. And Jesus says, I must die because he says, my death is the payment that sets your soul free. You have a soul. Your soul is valuable. Your soul can be lost. But Jesus came to die in your place to ransom your soul. How cool is that? And that's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, that he must die. He's not just saying, I'm going to die. He says, I must. That's what he came to do. His kingdom, he comes to be the king of his kingdom where he pays the ransom for you to go free so that you could be part of it. That is why Jesus says you make that the plank of your life. There's such a temptation to sideline the death of Jesus. So it doesn't really, let's, let's not talk about the death of Jesus. That's not very politically correct today. That's not very fashionable, all this kind of hell and judgment and sin. and Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the Jesus that we like. Jesus the teacher, Jesus the healer. That's what Satan wants you to believe. The reason Jesus came was to pay for your soul. The reason Jesus came was to buy your soul out of hell. It doesn't get more fundamental than that. But remember there are two basic planks. This sermon, I can see, is going to disappear. I might have to preach the second half next week. I can't. Never mind. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Move. Right. First big plank, Jesus, the death of Jesus. But the first big plank makes no sense without the second big plank, the resurrection of Jesus. 
three times Jesus predicted not just his death, but his resurrection. Right, this is what's... Let me have a little moan. Okay? A little moan about the Bibles that you have in front of you. Not about any of the words that are normal. Only the words in black. Because they aren't part of the original... I mean, I know they're all in black. You know what I mean. Bold. Stop being picky. You know. The words in bold are not part of the original text. Okay? Everything else was in Greek, translated from Greek into um, English for us. Praise God. Um, but not the headings. They were put in just to help us. Right, look. Every time we get to one of these predictions, what does it say? Jesus predicts his death. Jesus predicts his death a second time. Jesus predicts his death a third time. And I'm like, yeah, he does predict his death. But what about the, and I'm going to rise again, bit? And it's, right, we can so easily sideline the resurrection of Jesus as if that's kind of, you know, it's just the happy ending. The death is what matters, the cross is what matters, and the resurrection, that's nice. But it's the cross that matters. That is completely wrong. Now you might even think that from the Gospel of Mark. Just go to Mark 16 for a second. Mark chapter 16. And the very end of his Gospel, right? Because it is a little bit weird, the end of Mark. Now this is going... This isn't until next Easter we'll do this. So, you know, little preview. The end of Mark's Gospel is a bit weird. It's very short the way it ends. And then all this bit in italics kind of basically wasn't there in the, in the original stuff that Mark wrote. It was kind of added, with, they think, by later people. It really just ends at verse 8. And so you get this kind of resurrection. They go to the tomb. They see the tomb's empty, but they never see Jesus. It's like this really weird ending. How will What's going on? Why, why isn't there this big resurrection appearance and, and all this kind of stuff? And it would be easy to think, well, perhaps Mark wasn't that interested in the resurrection. Rubbish. Mark has done all of his resurrection stuff already. So that all he has to say in Mark chapter 8 and verse 7, the angels say to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. That drives you back to what Jesus said. Oh, hang on. The resurrection must have been in what Jesus said. And then you discover that the resurrection is everywhere in our chunk of Mark's gospel. Three times Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and die. On the third day I will rise. He predicted it again and again and again. It was predicted by Jesus. It will be on the third day. So if you like, right, Trump picture this, right? Suffering and death, that's the first day. Resurrection is the third day. The resurrection is coming. And Jesus isn't talking about some, oh, one day I'll see you in the clouds, you know, it'll be lovely, we'll all be raised and we'll all have a happy time. No, Jesus is very, very specific. It's going to be in three days. Count them, one, two, three. This is no mistaking it. Not some wishy-washy, oh, we'll meet you again. No, absolutely rock solid, three days, and I'll be back. And Jesus seems to expect them to sort of understand that. And Jesus predicts it because he, 
How does Jesus know? Well, I think because Jesus knows the Bible. This is what happens over and over again in the Bible. Time and time again, you get people who suffer and then rise, suffer and rise, suffer and rise. It's the pattern. Oh, I haven't got time to do. I've got, I got so much stuff here that I, I haven't got time to do. Yeah, look, right, there's a bloke called Joseph. Okay? Don't have to worry about the story. If you don't know, it doesn't matter. Joseph, Telecolor Drinko, all that stuff, right? Twelve brothers. He had 11 brothers because he was one of them. And uh, he was having a bad time. They didn't like him. They chucked him in a pit, wanted to kill him, threw him down, suffered, sold him as a slave into Egypt, suffering, 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 and then resurrection to glory. He gets this second most important man in the kingdom. He gets glory and honor, right? That's, that's the story. The nation of Israel, okay? The nation of Israel was slaves, suffering, being beaten up by the Egyptians. Oh, life's really, really rubbish. Moses comes, leads them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and to the Promised Land. Right? Resurrection. They're all over the place. Resurrection. There's a bloke called Daniel. We can, I could do this all night, right? There's a bloke called Daniel. Daniel, chucked into a lion's den. You probably may have heard the story of Daniel and the lions. Rah! So you know what a lion is. <laughs> Sorry. Daniel, right? Daniel, thrown into the lions. Get this, right? Get, listen to this, right? Daniel, thrown into the lion's den and a large stone rolled in front of the mouth of the cave with the lions. Spends the night in. In the morning, they roll the stone back. I mean, this is like so obvious. They roll the stone, they roll the stone away, just like the tombstone was rolled away. They roll the stone away, and Daniel comes up out of the grave, uh, uh, the, the uh, cave, cave grave, and he comes out of the cave to glory. Right? You have to see this again and again. You can do this. You can play this tonight when you get home. Let's play resurrection spotting. It's everywhere. And then here comes Jesus, and he says, "Look, it's me, right?" That's what it was all about. It was all about me, Jesus says. David, Daniel, Joseph, Gideon, Israel, all of it was about me, pointing to me. So of course I'm going to suffer and then rise. That's the pattern. It was predicted by Jesus. And he doesn't just predict it. He previews it. Right? He shows them what it's going to be like. That's what the transfiguration is about. We haven't got any time to do this in detail, but can you see that what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look at the glory. It's like he gives them, this is the resurrection appearance that isn't at the end of Mark, but is here. Jesus shows them, this is the true me. This is the glory that I'm, is ahead of me. And so they see him changed. His clothing becomes white. He becomes glorious and majestic and powerful. And God says, this is my son. The glory of Jesus. Now this really, you may say, what is John T. banging on about? This really matters because it shows us that actually the kingdom of God is a glorious, powerful kingdom. Suffering and death and resurrection. And so Jesus says, one day he will come in his Father's glory with all the holy angels. The glory Jesus was dead but was raised, 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 raised to the highest place and given the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the glory? Jesus could see the glory on the third 
day. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, how does Jesus go to the cross and suffer and die on the first day? Because he says the third day's coming. I know the third day's coming. I know that glory's ahead. Don't you see? He's not some martyr going, oh, this is a shame. Poor old me, didn't work out so well. This is Jesus saying, this is the route to glory. This is the path I walk. This is the road. That's what Mark's gospel is going to show us. Okay, now, let's take, let's take those two things, right? Those two planks. And let me just apply it in our last few minutes, right? Let me just apply it. I really want you to see what would it look like to make the death and the resurrection of Jesus the, the foundational sticks that hold all the other marbles in place. Let me, let me uh, I'm going to read from verse 8, 30, chapter 8, verse 34, okay? Now we're getting to the bit that's about us. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. <laughs> Look, we've set out the road. We've seen the road. A road of suffering, death and resurrection. And Jesus says, now you come follow. As you put your trust in Jesus, he then calls you to follow him down that road. Okay, look, all of us, right, all of us are pursuing joy. All of us want to be happy, right? All of us, you know, we, we want to find things that make us feel joyful. It drives us. It, you know, we want to suck the marrow out of life. And the Bible encourages us to do that, to be joyful. But here's the problem, right? Let me... Let me uh, Firstly, the, the problem is the fleeting joy of hedonism. I realize this is a bit heavy for the end of the sermon, but stick with it. Right, hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Joy is to be found in pleasure and in whatever I can enjoy now. The question that drives me is, what makes me happy? And it's basically self-indulgence. Now, let me ask you a question, right? Does self-indulgence make you happy? So you get a, you get a tub of haagen ice cream... And you eat all of it. Does it make you happy? I, it makes me happy. <laughs> really happy. But it doesn't last. And actually what follows is not a kind of, oh, now I'm not happy again anymore. What follows is, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I feel shame. Isn't that interesting? I think that indulging myself will make me happy, but actually what it leads to, not is just, oh, it didn't work. It's actually it's the shame. That's true in loads of stuff in life. You know, I decide to spend the day lying in bed. Does it make me happy? Yeah! It's a long time since I've done that. But then you just feel like, oh, that was a bit of a waste. That was a shame. You know? And it's true, you know, you take a more serious example. You know, here's a, here's a guy who's been happily married to his wife for 15 years and he sees another woman, and, and in a moment of weakness, he indulges himself. He goes, I'm going to go for pleasure. She's so beautiful. She wants me. I'm going to just enjoy this. It's a fleeting joy, right? It's a shame. And I, 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 I want to challenge you to say, our self-indulging culture doesn't bring true joy. It brings shame and guilt, ultimately.
Okay, so we might assume then, okay, fine, okay, John T's going to tell us now that we've all got to be miserable and kind of just deny ourselves and be like, hmm, we can't have anything nice, no Haagen-Dazs ice cream, nothing. Got to get up early and all that stuff. And he said that's the classic view of being a Christian. It just basically means you've got to say no to anything that's nice. You have to be restrained and basically, yeah, anything that makes you smile is bad. Now, I want to show you the fleeting joy of stoicism. Okay. This, I, I, this feels very heavy for the end of the sermon. I should have thought of this before I did it, but never mind, you're, you're very bright and wide awake. Uh, hedonism, right, is a fleeting joy. Stoicism is the opposite. Stoicism is saying, I'm going to treat my body really harsh. I'm going to be really cruel to myself. And we might say, yes, that's what it means to be a Christian. You've just got to be kind of, oh, I'm going to be mean. No. Do you know what? Here's the weird thing. That's a fleeting joy too. Is there joy in harsh treatment of the body? Yes. Because it feels good. I think it's Kate Moss, the supermodel. This is the slogan by which she lives her life. Listen to this. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. So she will deny herself, deny, 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 but she's only denying herself, for swapping it for another pleasure, another joy. And sometimes, right, I have been, I was in an elders meeting, right, not at this current church, you'll be glad to I was in an elders meeting once, and I was trying really hard to be on a diet for some reason, and um, the cakes were brought round, and I said no. And it wasn't hard because it felt really good. Because I looked at everyone else and was like, it's disgusting. <laughs> you pigs. Like literally, I'm, and I'm, I can feel myself thinking, I think I feel thinner. <laughs> now we can be like that. You know, we, we take a, a kind of a smug pride in ourselves and in our harsh treatment. I got up at... Half past eight this morning to read my Bible. And I'm tired now, but it feels good. And there's a false joy because it doesn't last. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, let's stick with this. This is the point, right? This is the big point. When the death and resurrection of Jesus shape everything that you do. It isn't hedonism. You don't just indulge yourself, but it's not stoicism either. Instead, it's this. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me because what do you know is ahead? You know resurrection's ahead. And therefore it isn't saying, oh, I'm just going to treat myself harshly. Instead, it's saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. The lasting joy of following Jesus. That's where true joy is to be found. True joy to be found in saying, I'm going to walk the road, Jesus, you walked. I'm going to deny self. I'm not simply going to live a hedonistic life where I just take everything that I want and just live for myself. I'm going to deny self. I'm going to say no to self. I'm going to live in a way which is generous and sacrificial and giving. I'm going to live in a way which is costly, which is painful, a a way which sometimes suffers, but I'm not going to flip over here and say, and look at me. Instead, I'm going to say, I'm living this way, Jesus, because you promised resurrections ahead. That's where true joy is to be found. 
And we're going to see over and over again in this section of Mark's Gospel that Jesus calls us to follow him. Not so with you. That's what we've called this series because Jesus is going to keep saying to us, don't live like the world. Don't live that way. Not so with you. A different way. Walk my path. And I want you to know every time you hear that and every time you think, oh, this sounds miserable, I want you to know that resurrection's ahead. You live this way because resurrection's ahead. Because one day Jesus says, you too will be raised. And some of us, right, we live on day one and we're living in day one and it's painful and it hurts and we're suffering. And you need to hear the third day's coming. This isn't it. I know it hurts. And I know there are days when we cry and there are days when we feel, I just don't know if I can do this. It's too hard. It's too painful. And Jesus says, he lifts your head and he says, but the third day's coming. This is day one. Hang in there for day one because resurrection's coming. That's how Jesus went through the cross. That's how he did it. And that's how Jesus takes you through the suffering to resurrection. This is the glory of Mark's gospel. Resurrection is everywhere. We build our lives on the fact Jesus died and he rose. So this afternoon... How important is the death of Jesus? Do you understand your soul is valuable? Your soul will be lost, but he paid for you. Have you asked him, have you trusted him with your soul? Do you feel that this afternoon, the weight of that? And resurrection. Are you ready to suffer, to walk that road with him? Because resurrection is ahead. Why don't we pray together and then we're going to uh, sing and celebrate what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you that, that we have a king who died for us and we have a king who on the third day rose again. And Father, that thank you this afternoon that that, that that keeps us from a hedonistic life, but it also keeps us from a stoical life. It gives us a joyful life for following Jesus, even through the suffering. Father, please help us to place all our trust in him that whatever sticks may be pulled away from our lives, that the death and resurrection of Jesus would hold everything else in place. Our Father, we trust, we love, we worship our King Jesus together. We praise you in his name. Amen. Why don't we um, celebrate the fact that he's risen? That'd be a good thing to do, right? We're going to sing together. Then we're going to eat bread and drink wine together to remember his death. Uh, but why don't we stand first and let's, uh, let's celebrate this, right? If you're suffering, let's celebrate the fact there's resurrection coming. Let's stand and let's sing.